Our second reading is from First Peter, chapter one, from verse one to twelve. Uh, in the few Bibles on page uh, one thousand two hundred seventy-one, or you can follow on the screen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, is strangers in the world, is scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have heard to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This has come, this have come so that your faith of great worth than, than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that uh, was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of, of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Let God be glory. Amen. Thanks, uh, Chen, for reading the passage of Scripture. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. And we pray that you minister to our souls this morning. That we might be able to say that it is well with our souls. Father, I pray that you forgive me for my sins. And that you use me to, to preach your word faithfully to your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Dear friends, today... Um, well, look at this uh, topic, joy in the midst of hardship. 
I'm sure that many of us as Christians have experienced times when trials have come our way. Times when things were really tough. Times when it has caused us to wonder, where is God in my times of hardship? As a city here in Melbourne, uh, we have gone through a challenging week this past week. The tragic murder of that lady in Brunswick. We can see a community in grief and sadness and mourning. We live in the midst of trials in our own lives, as well as that of others. Times of hardship when we don't know where to turn to and to whom we can cry out to. Times when things are really tough. And we ask the question, is God letting me down? Does God really, really care? If God is good, then why is he allowing me to go through this particular trial or hardship in my life? And trials are hard and difficult to endure. There may be situations in your own lives when you've had to go through one of the most terrible periods in your life, and you've asked the question, why? How do you handle these things? Well, this morning, we're going to just look at two verses this morning from our text. Yes, we are on. Um, two verses, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so this morning we will look at two, uh, three aspects here today in this passage. The great rejoicing, the genuine faith, and the glorious future. Three things from our text here this morning. The great rejoicing. The Apostle Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now the question for us this morning is, what does this word, this, refer to? In what are we supposed to rejoice in? And I think that this word, this, refers to the work of God in giving new birth to those whom he has called. In chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we see that God is instrumental. He is instrumental in bringing about a new birth in a person's life. That God, in his sovereign grace, calls a person unto himself, gives that person the capacity to believe, gives that person the gift of faith, and gives that person the capacity through the Holy Spirit to be born again into a living hope. A hope that we have in Christ through his glorious resurrection. That's the first aspect. The second thing that we also see is in this rejoicing is this. That God, in the, that the foreknowledge of the Father was instrumental in this work. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit was part of that. And the work of the Son the obedience to Jesus Christ. Entire Trinity is involved in the process of calling a people unto himself. 
And he refers to the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now friends, as we have previously noted, our hope is grounded. It is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Unlike the lifeless hope embraced by the world, Christians possess a living hope. It's a living hope. It's a living hope because we have a living Savior. We have an amazing Savior who died and was crucified and was rose again from the dead. It's an amazing message. Just this past week, I was watching a documentary on SBS and was taking us through, the, through Israel and uh, the Old Testament and then brought us into the New Testament and, started, and, the, and the, the speaker, the presenter, started speaking about Christ and the resurrection of Jesus and what that means to the Christian faith. See, that's why we celebrate the, the birth of Christ, the, the work of Christ on the cross, and Easter, because our Savior is risen from the dead. And this living hope includes also for us something that is an inheritance that we already have in part, but one day we're going to enjoy it to the fullest. And this inheritance, as we noted last time, is kept for his people in heaven, and this inheritance is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. And so when Peter says rejoice, he says this, in this you greatly rejoice. That's what this word means. It's it's referring back to rejoicing in the work of God in calling us to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus, to the inheritance that is kept for his people in heaven, and for the salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. And this is what we are called to rejoice in. Greatly rejoice. The word here that has been translated is an intense and expressive term which refers to a happiness that is abundant. It refers to a joy that is abundant. A rejoicing that is celebration of praise to our God. It is a rejoicing in what God has done for you and for me and for God's people throughout the ages past. It is what we call having this joy that we have that comes from the Lord himself. The Apostle uh, Paul said that, didn't he, in writing to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. And the word is greatly rejoice. It is a happiness that is not fleeting. It is a happiness that is not superficial. It is one of substance. It is not an empty happiness. It is a joy that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in view of what God has done for us, we are to greatly rejoice. And I, f- I fear, friends, sometimes that we forget this aspect, don't we, in life. And the context here that Peter is speaking, also of suffering and trials, it is so fitting then that we have sandwiched in between this rejoicing greatly and later on in the passage which we are going to look at this morning, he says you are filled with an inexpressible joy which we will look at next week. Sandwiched in between the rejoicing and the joy is also this section on trials and testings. So that when we face the trials that come our way, 
We are rejoicing not in our trials, but in what God has done for us in Christ. And that ought to give us joy in our lives. Did you have that joy this morning? Is that joy flowing through our lives? I was at, uh, I didn't go for the entire minister's camp. I know John was there for the whole period. I was there on Wednesday. I was listening to uh, David Jones, who is the moderator of our General Assembly of Australia, and he was speaking on, he touched on this aspect of joy. And uh, in, in his Welsh accent, he said, you know, sometimes Christians, they look so down and they're missing out this joy thing in their lives. Are we really missing, are we, are we missing that aspect of rejoicing? Rejoicing. When is the last time, my dear friends, you were rejoicing in the Lord? The last time that you said, wow, man, I'm just so excited that God has done such a tremendous thing in my life. that I just want to rejoice. The joy that comes when we meet together in corporate worship. The joy that comes when we sing our songs of praise to our God. Then we come and we meet together that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Are you rejoicing? Peter says, rejoice. He says, greatly. It's an intense word. It's a word that calls us to, to, to greatly celebrate an expression of abundance of rejoicing. And, and we can't produce that, right? You can't produce that kind of joy. We can't go to a supermarket and say this morning to Coles, I'm going to buy one kilo of, uh, of joy. You can't produce it. It's something that only God can give to us. It's something that comes through the Holy Spirit. And as we trust Him and we rejoice and we say in our hearts, Lord, I just want to rejoice that you've done such an amazing work in a sinner like me. And that's the joy that I have. So greatly rejoice in view of what God has done for us. We are to rejoice and do it greatly. And Peter will return to this subject later on. And we're not going to look at that this morning. Having called us to rejoice greatly in what God has done for his people, Peter moves on to another topic here, and that is the matter of trials. And so we look at this aspect under the point of genuine faith. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6b, Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is, is revealed. You see, for a little while, if necessary, you may have been, the word that is translated is distressed or suffered grief. For a little while you may have been distressed or grieved by various trials. Now Peter does not spell out the exact nature of this distress his readers were facing. Uh, Some of them were facing persecution. He doesn't tell us the trials that they were facing. This word used here has the meaning of being distressed, of being sad, filled with sorrow. But it is not only restricted, my dear friends, to physical pain. These kind of trials that we have in mind here could be also, it could also include mental anguish. It could include sadness, disappointment, tragedy, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, 
a workplace issue, school issues that can cause us distress in our lives of various kinds. It is of all kinds, of various trials. This is not surprising given that we are living today in a fallen world. And grief is a present reality in this world, is it not? I had a call yesterday from Sri Lanka. I just visited uh, this lady only last month. She called me and a surprise call that came all from Columbus. She said, Chris, I want you to pray for me. She's uh, lost her husband. She's by herself. She wants to sell her property. And Chris, can you please pray for me? I'm really struggling. Really going through this real trial in my life. And so we had this prayer. And, and friends, you see, there are moments in our lives that we go through these trials and, and we wonder and we ask questions and we struggle through them. And trials comes from many sources. Some trials are simply the natural consequences of our own sin. For example, if I decide to drive my car at uh, 160 kilometers an hour in a 100 zone and I lose my driver's license, then I can't say, well, God, I'm going through this trial for you, can I? Right? It's a trial that I put upon myself because of my foolish deed. I'm paying the price for my own foolishness. If, I'm, uh, if, you're, if you're married and you're, you're having extra affairs all over the place, then you're putting that trial upon yourself. It's a trial because of our own sin. That's not the kind of trial that we have in view here. Some trials are a part of God's program of disciplining us. These are never God's punishment. I've heard sometimes uh, people say it is, uh, discipline is God's punishment. It is not God's punishment. It is not, friends. I say that because Jesus took all the punishment for our sins upon Christ, right? We are not punished for our sins. We'll be disciplined by God, never punished, because Christ was punished for our sins. However, painful consequences also can be God's instruments of instruction for his people, for his children whom he loves. Hebrews chapter 12. Just as earthly parents discipline their children, and we do, it's a challenge, isn't it, to discipline your children? Is it easy? I don't think so. For me, myself, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh boy, it's a hard thing to do, right? At times. But we do it because we love them. And when I discipline my children, I say to them, I love you, and so I'm saying this to you. And it doesn't make sense to them. How can you say you love me and discipline me? We love them. And that's why we discipline our kids. And the father loves his people, and he disciplines them, so that we'll train, he trains us uh, to share in his holiness. Now, some trials are direct attacks of Satan. For example, Job experienced such attacks and more about Job later. So what does Peter mean by these trials? These are the trials not brought upon ourselves by our foolish uh, actions. They are trials that come our way, and God permits those trials for a purpose. Look at what Peter says here. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise. Peter mentions that whatever these trials are, that they have a purpose. And the purpose is that the genuineness of our faith may be proved. And Peter goes on to give an illustration 
to make this point. The analogy that he uses is familiar to his readers. Gold. Um, most of us would have gold, wouldn't we? Some of you would be wearing gold this morning with your gold rings and necklaces and whatever. But gold was considered the most expensive metal then and it is also today. In ancient times, it was the basis of monetary transactions, Matthew chapter 10. In some cultures, women wear a lot of gold bangles and chains, which is indicative of their wealth. If you come from my part of the world, in India, Sri Lanka, uh, where a few Indians say you will agree with me, right? A lot of them wear bangles from almost from here to right to their wrists and massive necklaces. That indicates how rich they are. Gold has value and, and people invest in gold. Uh, gold serves to determine the value of currencies and its value is set by world markets. And people determine the price for gold. And gold as a metal is refined by fire and during this process it burns away any impurities resulting in pure gold. In pure gold. Peter says that our faith is worth more than gold. And this faith does not originate from the mines in the earth, but it originates in heaven. And this faith is a gift from God. And just as gold is refined by fire and the impurities are taken away, so is our trial. So are our trials tested and proved genuine in our faith. That is, we are able to stand the test of those trials. Let me give you three examples uh, very quickly this morning. Three examples in the Bible of those who endured trials but kept trusting in God. One is Job. Think about Job, my dear friends. What do you think about this passage? Eh? The wife that should have been supporting Job. The wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity, curse God and die? He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Right? And then we read this. In Job chapter 23, now we fast forwarded. It says this, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Can you see that? Now we don't have time to go through all of Job's life. He was attacked by Satan. He had everything that God had given to him. But at some time in, in his life, God permitted Satan to do this attack upon Job. He lost everything. A mighty, wealthy man. He lost all his wealth, his family, his everything. His body was uh, under attack as well. And Job endured that trial. He continued to look through. He continued to put his faith in the living God. And he continued to persevere through that trial. And by looking at God himself. And you know what the end result is? I'm tested, I will come forth as gold. And Job did. Did he not? God carried him through a difficult period in his life. That's another guy that we have in the scriptures. What a trial, my dear friends, Job would have had to go through. He came out strong, was abundantly blessed by the Lord. The other one, one is, is Joseph. You see, when Joseph uh, was sold by his brothers, imagine that. Been sold by your brothers to Egypt, to the Egyptians. What a hard thing that must have been for Joseph as a young man. Going through that trial. And then at the end, he says this in Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Say Job, Joseph, going through trials, going through difficulties. They kept their faith and God was honoring them right throughout that process. Job coming out strong, Joseph coming out strong. There's another guy in the Bible and that is Nehemiah. Just give you three examples. Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he's crying. The people are laughing at him. They are saying that the walls you're building, when foxes go on those walls, it's going to collapse. And Nehemiah was crying out to the Lord. It is, it is time of testing. And this is what we see. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some, some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, the point is that our faith is not only valuable to us, but it is also valuable to God. He wants to refine it, and doing so is helping us, shaping us after the image and likeness of His Son. So just like gold is refined by fire, so also trials and afflictions in our lives refines our faith, which is far more precious than gold. And God uses trials in our lives to strengthen us so that we might be stronger. Now you might be able to testify that this morning. Some of you have gone through real hardships in your life. Maybe you're going through a trial right now. I don't know. Maybe it's a battle you're going through. Could it be that God is using that to refine you and to make you a stronger person for Jesus? So that when you come out of it, you'll be saying, Lord, I could not understand why I had to go through that trial. It did not make sense. It was illogical. But by your grace, today, here I am. I'll tell you this, friends. Personal, from my personal experience, when I came to Australia like 20, nearly 18 years ago or so, I said, I just rose myself and the two girls, Sean was born here. I said to her, one week after we had come, I said to her, I want to go back. I don't want to stay here. I just want to go back because there was no work. Uh, We were just floundering, thinking, where is God going to open a door for ministry? And I remember Rose reading the passage of Scripture for us, saying God is going to take The text was to an open land. Whatever that meant, I'm not trying to read the Scriptures and say, well, this is for us, but that's how God spoke to us at that time. And in the grace and the providence of God, he opened the door for us to go to an open space in country Nurat, in a house on 10 acres of land with only cows around us. And that first night I stayed in that house, in that man's there, I said to Rose, I called her, I said, come, come out here. There's actually a car on the road. It was so nice to see a car. I said to the session clerk in Nurat, I can't stay here. We're going back. We are going back. I said to Rose, no way. I will take the flight, go back to Colombo. I've got everything there. It'll be fine. But by God's grace, we persevered, we endured, we knew God's call for us here. 
Uh, we enjoyed the best ministry. Uh, we enjoyed the ministry here as well. Please don't get me wrong. But a great time in that open space in Little Nuret that nobody has even heard of. And God provided abundantly, my dear friends. We had nothing. I have a microwave that was given to us 20 years ago. That thing is still working. And in fact, the owner came to our home that, to visit us and he recognized this microwave. He said, is that what we gave you? I said, yes, it's still working. <laughs> you see, God takes us through sometimes personal trials, sometimes personal testings. Sometimes it is hard in ministry as well. There are moments that I've gone, we have gone through in certain circumstances that's been so hard. But the Lord has carried through, and you can say that for your own lives, and brought us stronger in the faith. See, um, Isaac Watts said, uh, God often digs the wells of joy with the spades of affliction. With the spades of affliction. And C.S. Lewis who said this, affliction is often that thing which prepares an ordinary person for some sort of an extraordinary destiny. Right? Afflictions prepares an ordinary person for some sort of an extraordinary destiny. You just don't know how God's going to use that situation to bring you through and to rejoice in the Lord and to say, Oh Lord, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, you've carried me through, and I can rejoice in your grace and your mercy. Why? Because this world is not the end place. You see, the, uh, James writing this, uh, to, uh, in the book of James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. You see, what James is saying is that the testing of faith is perseverance. That you don't give up. That you keep going. You keep at it, my dear friends. And you keep working at it. And you keep focusing on God. And you, ask, and you just ask God to, to use you because he has made you for a purpose. He has made you in his image. And he has called you to be his child for a purpose. Yeah? To glorify and to enjoy him. When you keep persevering in your faith and trusting and putting your hands and your life in this great God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who holds the present, the God who held the past, and the God who holds the future in his hands. Wow. That is a God we trust. It might be a hard time that you're going through right now. But I just pray that God will bring you through a stronger person as you fix your eyes on this God. These trials give us an opportunity to endure and to be mature. By itself, a trial is not a good thing. Notice that what Peter, notice what we see here in, in this passage. It says about the results of going through such trials. Not only will our faith be proved genuine, the Lord never promises us an easy life, though he does promise to be with us in our afflictions and lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Further, knowing that our God is working everything together for good is immensely comforting and assuring for all of us. And Apostle Paul says this, the passage we read, and we know that in all things, what is it? God works for the good of those who love him 
and have been called according to his purpose. So knowing that suffering will surely come encourages us to look for God's presence in our troubles. We can be assured that he is with us even as we go through the darkest moments in our lives. We can face our trials with courage and look for opportunities to grow. And then Peter, because we know, my dear friends, just as fire burns up dross and leaves valuable gold behind, so too does God use times of trial to purify our faith, which is more precious than gold. Look at what Peter says this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a row. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Not so our faith. Gold will perish. It will be gone. So we have a glorious future for us to look forward to. The text tells us, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The question for us this morning is whose praise, glory, and honor will it be? It is given to those whose faith is genuine. It is given by the Lord at his return when Jesus is revealed. This is the second coming, this glorious second coming. It impacts how we live, it impacts how we think, it impacts our minds, it impacts our lifestyle, it impacts my decisions. In the decisions that I make in my life, am I going to honor Christ? It impacts the way we do gospel work. Living with the view of Christ returning. The second coming will happen, my dear friends, because Christ has said that he will return. He died for our sins. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 8, uh, 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. So as we wind up this morning, the Bible does not leave him on the cross or in the tomb. It teaches his consequent glorification through four steps. The resurrection, the ascension, the intercession, and the return. According to one story, the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, hung a sign above the door of his office, his study, that read, Perhaps today. Perhaps today. Good sign, isn't it, to make and hang around our offices here in our church buildings? Right? Perhaps today. And he posted this sign to remind himself that Jesus could come back at any time. That today might not end before Christ returns to judge his world. Friends, our Lord's second advent will happen in the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be resurrected and all people will hear the final verdict. At his return, Jesus will take his people to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. What greater comfort could there be then to know that we will live before the face of God forever, free from sin, free from pain, free from trials. There will come a day when there will be no more pain. No pain will fill the heart and no more tears will fill the eyes. Even when life seems impossible, we can rejoice in the gift of our salvation. This is why Peter says that our trials will come and grieve us, though it will only be for a little 
while. A little while. So when we face trials, we can waste our time blaming ourselves, looking for the devil to behind the, every disappointment, or wondering where God is, or we can accept the facts. That in this world we live, we will have trials. We will suffer for a while. But a much greater time approaches. In the meantime, God loves us, he refines us, and he promises to use every trial for our good. So friends, we still have joy and hope in the midst of our hardship, knowing that the return of Jesus one day enables us to face all sorts of hardships. Knowing that we are never alone. Never alone. That he is always with us. Always. What a blessing. What a glorious hope. What a fantastic future to look forward to. And may God give us grace in our trials. That we will come through stronger. Because we have a bright future that lies ahead one day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us every step of the way. That the trials of this life is only for a little while. We look forward to the day when Jesus will return and there will be no more pain, no more tears that will fill our eyes, no more trials, no more testings. The return of Christ he will judge the world and establish the new heavens and the new earth. Our Lord and our God, give us faith to persevere. To cling on to the promises of your word. And thank you, Lord, that we are never alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.